<laughs> no one does it quite like us. <laughs> Welcome to my podcast, Burning in Water. I have got the amazing Charlie George here, um, and we're going to be talking about all things comedy, writing, and also how we met, which is a story in its own right, um, I think. So I think we're going to start there. I don't know, Charlie, whether you want to tell that story rather than me. <laughs> it's really nice to see your face when I haven't been sick. Um, <laughs> um yeah, well, like, I still remember, was it, I think I was gigging in Hull, and I'd done, like, the whole comedy festival, which I was so proud of, because it's like I'd gone quite far away by myself doing stand-up, like, you know, a stand-up show for the first time, where it's like, you're not going with other performers and collaborating, I'd taken myself to Hull to literally just perform my stand-up, had a really great time at the comedy festival, and then travelling back, I can't remember what I did... Because the thing is, it's not very rock and roll. I wish it was a rock and roll story, but essentially I think <laughs> I ate crisps too quickly and then had a lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I just remember you, did you literally just come out of the loo and I was like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so bad. But like, I'm so glad you were so nice to me. Basically, I was poorly on the train. I vomited on the train. Like like a child who goes to swimming and, and eats too quickly and then has an upset stomach, I... I'm not great with, like, motion sickness anyway, so something must have happened on this little train from Donk. I think we were nearly at Doncaster, and then, yeah, yeah. I'd vomed. And then I met you, and you were there. This, uh, I mean, you were kind of a knight. You were very graceful, and you had your um, your guitar with you. And I knew, I was like, ah, oh, another artist, another creative. You'll help. We stick together through, <laughs> through sickness and health. Through sickness and health. Yeah. yeah, and I just, yeah, I remember it being, like, again, like, a very magical moment. I love, like, those random moments of just meeting people on, like, like, like coming back from, like, a gig, or especially, like, it was the same for me. I was playing a, I think I was playing a Sofa Sound, and, like, um, which, for anyone who doesn't know, is kind of, like, um, gigs that they put on in, like, intimate spaces, so, like, bedrooms and, like, um, things like that, basically. Um, and, and, yeah, and I just remember... Yeah, it's just being, I wasn't expecting my journey to end up talking to somebody really, really amazing about like loads of random things about art and life and comedy and music. Um, and then you were sick, <laughs> which was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I feel really good because it was like I purged and then I was given the gift of this like angelic moment where it was like, so I think we were waiting for a train, weren't we? And like quite lost. And so that's feeling, and it was really cold. I think I might mm. even have been dancing around because I was like so freezing and hadn't dressed well enough for the north of England. And like, <laughs> I just remember the train journey back. It's a beautiful thing when you meet someone that you can connect with on lots of different levels and talk about lots of different things because I was just like you know when the journey just went and I was like yeah. oh great like normally I'd be I would have had to stare at my phone like 10 million times or exactly yeah that was exactly how I felt as well just time was like that amazing and that was because you were telling me all about yourself as well as me telling you me, my look telling you about me so could you tell anybody who hasn't heard about you or doesn't know what you do what it is that you do yeah, that's probably everyone, right? Like, I ha I share the name of, like, a, <laughs> a famous football player. So if you Google me without the word comedy, it's just, like, a white guy who's really good at football and plays for Arsenal, which is fine, I'll take it. But, like, I am a, a comedian and writer, um, so, like, writer-performer, and I... Yeah, I used to do, be a dancer and circus performer, but I've been doing stand-up and um, comedy writing now for the last three years now it is. I can't believe how quickly it's gone and 
how fast it's been. But yeah, that's what I do. I started stand up uh, a stand up course in North London. I'd always been creative and made stuff, and then um, through kind of dark, like for me, I don't think it ever really mattered the form. I just sort of wanted to tell stories and express myself and bring people together through art, and so I'd done that. In lots of different ways through dance, community dance, commercial dance, gymnastics, circus. It's always been quite physical. So many skills, oh my God. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> but that's that's kind of what I'm doing at the moment. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like a trick of, of all trades because I guess like with art and any form of art, you have to really be flexible with the roles that you actually do. And like not only doing the things that you love, but finding space to do the things that help you pay for the things that you love, right? Yeah, definitely, because we have a culture that I don't think, um, I don't know many cultures that do around the world. Like, we, we all value art and we've all needed it, especially during times like this in the world, or all the time. Like, people consume art, like, at all different levels across across the board. It's something that we've always used to explore humanity and express ourselves, and it's hugely important, but it's not consider the same value as like economic things because that's the kind of model and structure we've mo moved in so I do think that you often find that you learn how to shapeshift and be very resourceful if you enter the arts and also I'm not gonna lie I would say when I talk to people about my experiences and they're like god you've done a lot I go yeah because I am working class <laughs> and like, I'm yeah. at to and I do think that there is still even within the arts I've noticed now that I'm doing more sort of tv stuff there still is some people who've perhaps had more um, support to make a leap and therefore specialise and focus on one thing. And I think I was just sort of, especially for my adolescence, like a queer teen sort of struggling and completely independent of my family, like just reaching for ways in which I could survive and like finding things that I thought could work that also aligned with my skills and maybe sometimes not finding I mean I had a great time in the dance world but there was definitely a point where like that lifestyle wasn't serving me anymore or that art form wasn't serving me anymore and it wasn't as functional and I do think that dance is probably one of the most challenging if you don't already have like there's certain art forms I'm sure you feel this in music or other things where like you know if you're coming at it with some capital you can take more risks and it's like less scary or your attitude towards it is slightly different and I think um you're not as reliant on the art form to purely make you money, which I think I see a lot of in the art. So I saw a lot of that in dance. Like if you had another income stream, if you were supported by people, you could make dance work easily at a sort of mid-level. So either you're like at the top level, like Wayne McGregor, the, the bunch of guys who gets all the funding, um, or, you know, other stuff. And so I think... Um, even in comedy, you see people coming at comedy and stand-up comedy from having been in a financial background where they have their own money to gig quite low-waged low for, for a few years to succeed versus other people that perhaps have to try and make money from that thing and live off it mean that then you have to do the other jobs. But do you know what I'll say that's been amazing about this is if you do other shitty jobs, I'd love to hear some of your shitty jobs, but like it's incredible for your art later on. So now that I'm writing, yeah. other people are like clutching for material sometimes and I'm like, I, I know some characters and I Yeah, have yeah, 100%. Yeah, I've worked so many shitty jobs. Like, like when I was, I was living in, in Sydney for a while and I was just clutching at anything. I literally went there with like no money. It was so stupid. I literally don't know how, I, even why I went. But like, I got there. Well, how old were you when you went? Uh, I was 18. Yeah. 
That's that's brave, but also I love those decisions that you make when you're that age, where you're just like, yeah, I've got no money, but like it'll work yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, I was doing like all like the advertising jobs, so like where you stand in the street and you do like the whole sign up to this, please, or sign up to this, and like they take us to like really like remote parts of like the Sydney boroughs, and it was like, yeah, it was just it was just a weird job. And then like yeah, lots of other random things. Like when I first moved to London, I was working again in like uh, promotions for creams parlor the dessert place and like I and I went I remember I went in on like the second day and it was paying like a decent actual like hourly rate um and he was like um right Tom today you're gonna wear this and he like pointed to this like rainbow colored tutu and it was like just before rush hour so like I was at London Bridge and um and I remember (laughs) kind of like looking at him and being like that and he was like yeah you're gonna wear that and I was like okay I was like is everybody else wearing that and he was like no he was like you're gonna wear that but the others are wearing similar things and I was looking at them and I was like that's not similar to a rainbow tutu (laughs) Um, and I put it on and I was outside London Bridge Station in my tutu handing out flyers and I remember like seeing somebody who was in the year above me at school who was obviously going to the shard to work and like I don't know doing what, what he was doing but he kind of like looked at me, looked away, and then like was in a rush, and he like looked back at me, and he was like, "Wait," and I was like, "Oh god!" Oh, mate, no! Oh wow! This is like you always bump into your ex when you're in your sweatpants, and never when you're like you you look like the shit, right? Like it's so unfair. That's so funny. I've been a Christmas tree on Oxford Street once. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, it's so bad, isn't it? I think we were outside M&S on stilts as well. So, like, you're raised up so everyone can see you. Because I was a circus performer, you used to have to do gigs like that where you dress up and you go to events and then you're, like, in a ridiculous outfit and then loads of children try and climb on you and get their photo with you and it's just the longest eight hours of your life. Eight hours? (laughs) That is so insane. That puts my tutu to shame. <laughs> no, no, no. The things we do for money, man. I just, I'm sure there's someone out there who's like, I always feel for those people. I saw a film recently that's really great about shit jobs and stuff. It's Sorry to Bother You. And there's a, a woman in that who's, she's a sign girl. Like the people who just have to stand with signs and hold them out. I'm like, God, oh, your arms must ache. <laughs> so tough. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, you really do learn a lot about yourself. Not only about like what you want want to do I think but like also you meet people from all backgrounds and from all lifestyles and yeah it's a lot of life I'm I'm grateful for all of those jobs I think I really am grateful for all of those jobs what they've what they've brought to my life but yeah and then I guess so moving from that so we had all of our our jobs to survive and then kind of you started to put a focus into was it comedy and then it became writing how what kind of what happened what what happened first to push you into the comedy world yeah I think I was working in the NHS at the time and it was really full-on and quite stressful I was like a physiotherapist assistant because I'd done a lot of work in dance and things and I really wanted to do more creative stuff I was still doing some community dance and like um like helping patients and people with complex bodies like move and create I really wanted to create like how I had before, like I'd written plays and I'd been writing since I was a teenager. And, but I had kind of writer's block and I was like, I know I, I feel like I need to write something, I need to create. I felt that impetus, but I wasn't sure. So I saw this stand-up beginner's course, One Rainy January, classic. And I suppose it was kind of, it wasn't really like a New Year's resolution. It was like, why not give it a go? Because it was quite affordable. And I went and 
started writing every week for this course. I just sort of gained a lot of momentum. And I was like, oh, this is really fun. Like, I love how one of the great things about stand-up is like you just write something and then you just can get up immediately and say it on stage and then find out if it works or not. And so in terms of like not needing a studio space and those, you know, it doesn't need a lot of stuff. Like it's just your mind and then like, you know, refining it. Um, It's obviously really hard, but like in terms of the actual materials, you know, you're a musician, you know, like studio space and equipment and all of these things that you need. It was quite simple and lo-fi. So I was like, oh, okay, this feels like something you can do if you're a bit low energy and perhaps don't have a lot of money. Um, And so I started like that and then really quickly, like, just got like placed in competitions or had a response from what I was doing at the end of the course after we'd gone through all of these awful deaths on stage and written quite a lot of shit um I built a set and then started taking that out and it was kind of just like I was really surprised by the response I'd always been terrified of speaking on stage terrified of myself really I think and um I think through dance or circus or other things and, and choreographing, which I did a lot, I, I could be behind the scenes or I could present a different version of myself where a stand-up is very exposing. Um, sure. But I think I rode this wave of people being ready to see someone different do something and I really drilled down into my weird, specific personal experiences and yeah, people sure. were laughing. I just didn't really get it but I rode that wave and did a lot of competitions and it just sort of exploded and quite quickly became the space where I think oh god maybe I was supposed to do this and I just hadn't been doing it you know yeah 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 so two things I wanted to touch on from that so firstly like how do you find taking your life experiences and putting them into your art so for me that is literally like my my entire art is based on that it's all based on my own identity, my sort of like drug issues that I've had as a consequence of my queer identity and like how that kind of like repressed me. Um, it's all about, it's all about my life experiences. And I find that for me, it's like kind of like therapy, like my own personal therapy of like, but also it's like, sometimes I, my body just like lets it go. Like I don't even really think about it to, to just like write that song. I'll just like present present suddenly something it'll just kind of just flies out of me and I'm like okay that needed to be said or that needed to be sung because otherwise it's just it's just hold up in here and how do you find navigating that story into your comedy is it a central focus or is it more something that you touch on when you when you want to how does it work for you <sighs> yeah I think it's really nice the way that you described it of like it's sort of happening to you because I think there's an element of that but I think when you want to then craft it later and you want to start doing it more regularly, it's kind of, um, you have to find a way to tap into it and like sort of get into a state in which you can access that more often. But I would definitely say it's like, um, I follow lines of interest and similar to you of like what, what it feels needs to be said and what I'm most excited about is often um and what feels most urgent and it's really hard to kind of define what that is but like I think often sometimes especially in our art or creativity like when I first started I was talking a lot about race and class and my family background and then and I was kind of like oh why am I doing that and then I was just like well I feel like maybe I kind of what you're saying maybe I need to talk about that right now and that feels like something I can talk about that I haven't spoke about in the past as much and it is a sort of a healing process 
And and by being really specific and drilling down into my weirdness, I realised, oh, God, there's loads of other people that are queer and Jehovah's Witness that come up to me at gigs or Christian or grew up in some kind of religious thing and have loads of kind of shame and confusing, confusion and self-loathing that come up to me and like, oh, my God. <laughs> and I've even had, like, straight white men come up to me and be like, I, I, I'd like do a bit about a story about, like, being really embarrassed on the doorstep of this this girl at school that I fancied and I had to sell her God. And this guy came up to me and he was like, oh my God, I was right there with you on the doorstep. That's so, that's so awful. And I was like, oh God, yeah, we all experience embarrassment and have liked people. Similar to you when you were talking about that, you know, that old school friend, probably in his suit on the way into the city, passing you and your tutu and you're like, no. <laughs> it's like, it's really specific to you, but it's also really universal because we know those feelings. And... um so yeah, I try and tap into that stuff where it's like I find the thing that I feel I, I, I need to talk about the most, I'm the most interested in, that feels like it wants to come out of me naturally. And then I ask why, and then I try and drill down into what about it is universally um, shared. Because I think for me, I do feel that my work is a bit of a therapy and a bit of a catharsis, but I believe in entertainment. And I do think that an audience yeah. needs to be brought into whatever you're talking about and that it's not just for you that like they have to also be able to find themselves in that and so I never used to think about that but that's been a more recent thing for me is to think about how do they connect with this why am I telling them it can't just be me dumping my trauma on them you know like it has to be more than that you know yeah for sure definitely yeah it's really really important yeah it's 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 interesting isn't it how how the entertainment as well does swerve in because it, it is still business it's a business of, for survival not just the passion and a love and i think often you have people who aren't artists uh who will be like you're so lucky that like you just do what you love all the time but like actually there are parts of it that aren't just about love that really are just about like like you say like making sure that you you um really execute it right and that you do you're doing the right thing and you're, you're, you're taking the right steps um yeah and yeah so I was gonna say in in regards to like so you were talking about um how like being up on stage and presenting yourself to people can sometimes be really difficult and sometimes it can be so like liberating so like I've always wondered like what do you do in so everybody has that that experience of like watching comedy and it not being funny and like and it's like you feel sorry for the person normally who's performing or because not everybody's going to find something funny. Do you know what I mean? It's like not everyone's going to like someone's singing voice. It's the same thing. But like your best and worst stories, like how how do you navigate that? Have you ever had to navigate that? Maybe you oh, haven't. Oh, God, F- fuck off. Of course I have. <laughs> of course I have. Because you're so right. Like it's not for everybody and you are not for everybody. And I think that's a deeply humbling thing that we need to remember in a world in which we're really exposed now with online stuff and putting ourselves out in the world and we get this immediate response from other people of thumbs up thumbs down nasty comments whatever they can directly communicate with us but it's important to remember that like it isn't about you like it's the same way that like I will listen to a particular record over another one because I like that band or I like that artist and it speaks to me and I I connect with it in the same way that there's some comedians that I just I just doesn't make me laugh 
it isn't personal and uh, I always make an effort because I have experienced like feedback <laughs> like to, to, to just accept that I don't like something and let it be because I think maybe if I do that other people will also do that but not always um, so yeah sometimes people do tell you that they're not into it that's maybe more online because I think people feel more courageous to tell you that you're not very funny or that they don't like what you do or to be more critical when they're hidden I find that really interesting because people off- wouldn't say it often in a room I don't think they'll just scroll through their phone or um, do something else and I have a couple of tools in my toolkit for like I think I did this gig I think it was in my hometown in Swindon, so I was already deeply anxious because I knew there was going to be school friends there. There was going to be people who've actively hated me for a really long time. <laughs> and so, and it actually went really well. And there was one guy in the corner just constantly looking down and like tutting and scrolling for his phone and looking at his girlfriend. And I think I just made some joke that backfired really badly about how does he give his 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 wife as much attention as the phone because if so she's a lucky lady and it was just like his girlfriend like I was just being cheeky and then his girlfriend was like her face dropped stony and then I went from one person not liking me to to the pair of them um but yeah I've also had hecklers and like mad things like that um people tell you what other people that they like which I think is a really interesting one to go to that level of like I don't think you're funny but these women are funny and women aren't normally funny and I'm like okay that's a lot of information thank you oh my god who said that to you oh this was a guy online I think he was American and he kind of commented on a video and then the thing that I found really weird is he said stuff about my appearance I felt like maybe it was a neg. It's really hard to tell what people psychologically are it's going It's so through. hard. That's, that's, I think, the hardest part is just the reflection that you have to face when it's not, like you say, a lot of the time it's not about you. It's out of your control. And, like, I've had, yeah, I've had people tell me that I need, like, severe therapy and, like, on Twitter and, like, um, what else? I mean, I haven't had anything horrifically bad, Um but yeah, it's it's just yeah, it's it's difficult. I think I like I, you talked about kind of like the self-loathing from your from your upbringing. Like I have a lot of self-loathing as well, which I'm still getting. I'm getting a lot better at handling that and like really like pushing that forward. But it it really doesn't make it easier doing something that is still about everybody else liking you or like you creating an impression that has to be worthwhile. Like that really adds to the self-loathing, I think. And that is a, an issue that a lot of artists face um, across the arts. Really. It can, but I don't know if you have tools for it now, but I feel that there's a beautiful thing about aging that I'm really liking, which is I care less. And also the more that I do this, um, I know how to compartmentalize. I'm like, it's my job. So like, I now feel that there's a friend of mine, he's really great, he's a really funny guy, Jordan Brooks, and he talks about the principles of clowning, which I did a bit of at circus school as well. But it's interesting how I think you're socialised sometimes as a female performer, like, or a female in general, to be quite people-pleasing, to really want people to like you, kind of what you were saying. And I felt like I've always felt that, of like, you know, as a dancer, it's about having a great aesthetic and just, you know, constantly being complimented. And I think it's quite challenging in comedy to realise that failure is funny. So, like, the whole point of comedy is that you're a fuck-up. And so it's like, it would be ridiculous. This has changed my mindset. And it's like, it would be ridiculous not to enjoy it. 
And I want to tell you this little story because it's absolutely brilliant. And so, so, and it's not connected to stand up, but me and a friend were having a really hard year. And he got us tickets to uh, see Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds of Victoria Park. And the warm up act was Patty Smith. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is amazing. What? Yeah, I know. It was like a big festival thing. And we were just having the best time in sparkly outfits and just running around. And um, anyway, we we're watching Patty Smith. And she fucked up the ending to Gloria. And it was just the most beautiful moment. Because if you think about her and her age and her whole career and her whole experience, and she just owned the fuck up and she made a joke about it on stage. And she was just like, oh shit, I wasn't supposed to do that. Can we go back? (laughs) And she just moved to where she was, like changed the whole thing. And then was like, let's just go again. And then we got a second reprise of the song Gloria from Patti Smith. And it was just amazing. People were whooping and screaming and cheering because they loved her for just saying, I fucked up. And I was like, oh, okay. So maybe if I own these failures, so every time I suck at a gig now, it ends up becoming either a piece of material for another gig or I say on stage, like I really double down into the fact that it's going badly and sometimes you can pull it back because it ends up being funny that you're like, if you acknowledge how shit it is, like that can be quite funny and quite relieving to everybody else, you know? Yeah, it's real. Like I think of some of the times I've had, because I've always been a perfectionist and I again, I really am learning, I think, to just let go of that. I'm a lot more chill than I used to be, especially when I was younger. And I remember like playing a gig and like after the first song, like I I played the first song really well. And I was like, yes, I was like, this gig is mine. And then I like stood up and like knocked over a pint of water. (laughs) And it like, it started like drooling across the stage, like really, really slowly. And it was like a really quiet room. It wasn't like a gig. It was a full room and it was really quiet. And I was like, oh no. And I was like, um, uh, uh, and somebody like ran in with like a towel. And then we were like, we were like soaking up the floor oh my god it was yeah it was really stressful and after that I was just like (sighs) trying to sing songs with like an essence of me that had been removed but yeah I think it's just it's learning from those learning from those experiences and really so after that I've never ever put a full glass of water on stage with me ever since yeah I was my heart was palpitating then of like you were going to tell me a story about electrocute and then I electrocuted this guy (laughs) (laughs) and then the whole room (laughs) set on fire um no not not this time touch wood yeah but um yeah I think it was yeah those experiences are so fundamental in learning and like learning not to be perfect like you can't be perfect nobody is perfect even the people that we see that look perfect are not perfect and I think that really is it's yeah it's something that you just have to take on board and really appreciate and it's taken me a while you were saying before sorry I wanted to say because I just remembered you were saying before about like how people find that if you do end up making like money out of your creativity or you're like me just so resilient that you're like I'm just gonna do this until I do like I'm not doing anything else and perhaps maybe terrible at other jobs so you need to be away from other industries um (laughs) That, like, if you do this for a living, people are always like, oh, my God, it's the dream. You must love it every day. And I'm like, no, similar to you, there's days where I don't want to go to work. Like, you know, and so this is also where your sense of humour and your understanding and your lack of perfectionism. Like, I remember, like, being a temp in an office and I'm just like, there will be days where I just have to phone this in and I just have to just be, like, 70%. 
I can't hold myself to the standards that I had as a as a teenager and in my 20s. I'm sure it sounds like you might be quite a similar character of like perfectionism. I wanted to nail it, smash it every time, really give people the best experience, be the best version of me. And it's like, sometimes that's not possible. Like not all the time. And like, I don't think we should be giving up, you know, we have to kind of learn and accept that like, if we're, if we're, we're aiming for that a lot of the time, but there are occasions where our energy or other stuff dips that we're allowed to, you know, just go to work and just do the best we can in a shit situation. We're allowed to do that. Like. We are allowed to do that. Yeah. And I think the pressures of social media and being fully like presented the whole time makes it a lot harder to reason with yourself, but it's important. Yeah. It is important to understand that there are days or weeks where you just don't have to give it a hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. Um, what else did I really want to ask you? So in terms of like your hacks to keep in a good mindset and keep focused on your career. So when there are times when you do perhaps feel like, oh God, this isn't working. Oh God, I'm not happy. Oh God, I'm struggling to put anything into this today. What do you do to bring that out of yourself? Um, Ooh, a variety of different things. Cause I felt like quite a lot recently. Um, I, I do have a meditation app. Uh, it's called Insight Timer. Yeah, and I always had like a strong aversion to stuff like that, which is funny because I uh, am a yoga teacher and I would definitely say that I uh, have some sense of, I'm really reluctant to say the word spirituality, but I'm also like, so I'm, I'm kind of a lot of different things. I so du- lots of duality. So I'm also kind of reluctant to that stuff because I was raised religious. And so anything that feels a bit woo-woo, I get really like, oh. but... The meditation app is useful and I think you can find really pragmatic tools in that way and like from from different sort of inspiring stories, there's lots of different stuff on there. So I find sometimes taking a short break to meditate and refocus and put my my mind and my physical self back in a different, like a reset, I think is always really good because sometimes I think, especially with technology and all these different things, we can get bogged down in a way of thinking and get overwhelmed. I've definitely been... Um, sometimes you know you've got 12 tabs open and you're like what the fuck am I writing and um so that's one I think meditation is good because it helps you go back inwards and I would say in general that's my main hack is when it's too noisy and too busy and we live in a world now where you can have constant notifications and people communicating with you much more than they ever have been I don't think that that is the space that is the most creative. Like I think creativity sometimes comes from emptiness and space and we forget because we are told to um, produce at such a rapid rate, even creatives like to, 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 to churn out kind of content and making things all the time. We forget the period of incubation that helps us make really good things, which is often stillness, silence, space. So I try and go back to those and like sort of sink to the bottom of a well. And that might mean like, yeah, just switching everything off, listening to a piece of music or just um, something to get me into closer to that kind of state of stillness, silence and, and sort of emptiness, I guess. It's the kinds of things I do at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I think meditation is a game changer for me. Uh, my mental health was transformed by, by meditation. How long have you been doing it now? So back when I first started uni, I was diagnosed with like severely bad anxiety. Like it was like I I had to like leave lectures and stuff like that. Um, And 
I remember being recommended a book called Finding Peace in a Frantic World by Mark Williams. Um, and that book, I, I basically like started the book, I got to like chapter four or five and like the exercise was the body scan for the week. So like going down your whole body and like feeling each part of your body. And like, I got it. Like after like a few weeks of reading it, I, I just like got it. And I just like classic, like my mindset was just like, okay, I've got it now. Bye. <laughs> so like put, put the book down. I just like body scan whenever I was anxious and it worked for a while. It worked. Um, but then I was recommended the book again, like a few years later. And I was like, I never finished that book. Like, why did I not finish it? So I did it in, in this lockdown period, our last lockdown period. I, I started that book again and I did it like really, really like to the point. Um, and, and yeah, and now I, yeah, I, I meditate for even just like a few minutes every morning and every evening, like it has sorted my, my mental health out completely. Like now every day I do it and I've gone from being somebody who I used to, like, I mean, before I kind of had anxiety, even though I had it very lightly, like I think everybody does, like I, I never really used to be able to do like when I got it, I, I stopped being able to do so many things I used to do all the time. And now meditation has allowed me to do those things again, like asking people out in real life <laughs> and like um, going into a room of people that I don't know of like 20 people and actually not feeling like I'm going to like shake or need to run away. Like my body is just like super calm now. It's actually it's like astounding how much it has changed. Um, but yeah, this isn't a podcast about meditation. I feel like I could talk about that all day long. Um, <laughs> genuinely that's amazing though that's really yeah. good results that's really good results I'm glad that you can you know to be honest I don't know if I could still I if I could ask someone out uh in person <laughs> anymore oh that's not true I probably could yeah I mean it's it's yeah it was a game changer for me being able to do that I don't know why I think I just thought I just found that really funny I think that should be the advert for meditation instead of all the woo-woo stuff like it should be like you want to ask this person out <laughs> meditate <laughs> then I do it more but it's true it genuinely is true like yeah my anxiety level was just like plummeted um but yeah so I think um yeah, so that's those are sort of like the the coping mechanisms for me. It's all of that stuff as well: exercise, meditation, uh, friends, and just like taking that time to myself, like a day, a week, which I have to give to me and nobody else. Um, so as in, like it can be to like I can be with friends or like spend the day with family, but it's just important to do something for me and for it to be about me and my my needs. Um, yeah. So I wanted to ask you as well, in terms of where kind of like comedy is going and the writing is going, do you think um, it's becoming easier or more difficult to find the, the experiences and to find the work in comedy and writing? How has your experiences shaped your, your opportunities? Um, I've always been a bit of a lucky fucker in my life. <laughs> I've always been a cat of nine lives and many, uh, yeah, many personalities. I, I think, yeah, and sometimes land on my, my feet in things, but I also think tenacity is a, uh, and work ethic is, is, has been kind of drilled into me, sometimes to my detriment, kind of like you were talking about, you know, trying to, trying to rest and have days off is always a, a challenge when you're someone that knows how to, you know, hustle and work really hard. I think it's really varied. I think there is deep um, inequality still in anything. But I do think um, 
that there are opportunities opening up, especially in terms of writing. And I think, um, I think if you have the right skill set or you're willing to get the right skill set and then leap for those opportunities, there are, there are some kind of cool stuff that's available in terms of like, you know, so my pathway might be a better way to sort of explain it in case there's anybody who is kind of thinking about doing it. But so I would say I did a lot of stand up competitions, which is really going to be hard for people now because of, you know, that's where I would say the inequality is. And then with the pandemic, live stuff is a great way for people to see your writing. That's a great thing about stand up and why a lot of stand ups or people into comedy end up going into writing for radio or TV or writing books or doing other stuff is essentially if you're a writer performer and you're able to vocalize and people can see there's a demonstrable thing of your writing rather than just having to send unsolicited things into people you get quite a strong sense of whether or not a piece of writing is successful if people are laughing at it and um so i think that that's helped me and through competitions i was able to get an agent and then an agent will also try and be an additional person that hustles for your work but obviously you still care about your career more than more than anybody else usually so you're both sort of hustling but and you know more of what you want and like you're not coming at it from from their perspective you're coming at it from like what you know you might be good at and what you like um so there's those kind of things but I do think tv writing is trying to have an overhaul of more diverse voices and different stories I don't know how that will actually translate again with challenges of the pandemic but I do think there has been a lot of seismic shifts in terms of the type of stories that we want and the type of people that we want telling stories and having power mm -hmm. over their own stories um and I think that that's really great in terms of diversity so for you know marginalized voices queer people working class people people of color it's like we've got to the point now where we've realized like oh like you know your stories are just as valuable and also sh it should be you telling them and not people who don't have those experiences which is often yeah. what it has been so I think that can be seen as an opportunity rather than you know of course it's frustrating and all of the politics surrounding it I think if you are willing to be um compassionate to it and see that people are trying and that that change wants to come it's like oh, okay you can you know uh, finally perhaps pursue and, and fight a bit harder for some of those things I think the structures are still taking a while to change you know like uh, like I'm sure music industry as well still has waves of sexism and uh, uh, you know issues with inclusivity at, at, at points um, but I do see yeah, sure. that what's happening in the world is changing things you know yeah attitudes I think and also it's 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 about a movement I think it's about allowing people to see and understand and telling your story so that those people can really cut there are lots of people that I think aren't even exposed to the understanding of that exclusion and the understanding of that lack of inclusivity and like educating people by being vocal about it and sharing our own stories I think is incredibly important um and yeah and I think and then that's going to give more space to more marginalized people to, to get those spaces and to have those opportunities. Um, and that leads me into kind of like our last little question, which is what advice would you give to somebody wanting to pursue a career in comedy or writing or art and performance, really? Like what, what would you tell yourself? Oh, I would, you know, it's really fun. I, like, <laughs> my jokey answer is like, don't do it. <laughs> and then my real answer is obviously screaming from the rooftops, do it because it will enrich your life incredibly. And like everything good 
um, and brilliant that's ever happened to me has been a consequence of me um, be half being funneled into the arts as a teenager and then and then also just falling in love with it and like um, and finding ways to develop skills and and build resilience around it. I would say, I think attitude is everything. So like, yes, it can be a really difficult time and it is a really difficult time right now. I'm not going to lie about that. I think to pursue a career in comedy because of the challenges of live stuff and live gigs. And, and But I think it's about not buying into a scarcity mindset. People will always, regardless of what is happening in the world, try and get you to buy into a scarcity mindset, especially with the arts, because people are afraid and we live in a in a very sort of capitalist economic driven structure at the moment and so there'll be a huge narrative about how you'll never earn any money and it's going to be really hard and I would say if you love it and you feel you want to do it and you have a story to tell or you have uh, a burning desire to express yourself this way fuck that shit and find a way to do it and keep an attitude of that love that will guide you when everybody else is saying that it's not a good idea to do because actually art is incredibly resilient and it's existed for eons through all kinds of bullshit the best art seems to come from resilience quite often totally we love stories some great music and albums will be written out of the pain of this time some hilarious jokes will be written about it some some wonderful things that will go on to inspire other people to want to live their lives and be better people so um i sound almost like religious about it now but like i i that's how much i love it and i think um if you can tap into that mindset then the rest the business side the stressful bits the the things that you have to weather and learn you will figure out and um and there are tools and support networks where you can try and get help with the more complicated aspects of trying to make money creatively if that's what you want to do but whether you want to do it as a hobby or for a career do it and have the right attitude about it one that's full of love and just do it but for whatever reason that you need to do it. You know? Full of love and laughs, I think, right? Yeah, we need that right now so much. We need laughs right now, yeah. <laughs> we do. I'm looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pressure's on. Um, but we do need it. And I think there's going to be really interesting stories out of this time. So I'm working on, like, yeah, various scripted projects, like writing for other people now, working on my own scripted projects. Um, I do think writing is a really good way to balance out the lack of, you know, live stuff for a period of time. So, like, it's good to have other ways in which you can express the same kind of intentional things. That's the great thing about comedy is that it can be a comedic poem, it can be a comedic dance, you know, it's broad. So I would think broad and um, resourceful and inventive. But, yeah, just keep going and find your support networks is my main advice if you have that desire to do it yeah i think the support network is incredibly important for sure i think that's a really really important point to touch on um yeah taking taking solace in that support network because it can be very difficult mentally i think being in the arts it's it's an amazing it's worth every single every single bit you give to it but it is important to acknowledge that it can be very straining mentally and i think having that support network is incredibly important um and yeah so thank you so much charlie it's been such a pleasure 
so many amazing takeaways from that. Um, such an inspiring conversation. Um, yeah, so to anybody who wants to follow Charlie, you can find all of her stuff. Where, where can you find it? My stuff. Um, I am on Twitter as CG Does Comedy. I am, uh, which is great, you, really useless Twitter name, but there you go, uh, CG Does Comedy, and then Charlie George Comedy anywhere else, so like my website, Instagram, stuff like that, you can find me um, online for cute pictures of dogs and uh, some microphones that I've stood in front of, things like that. Um. <laughs> as soon as all of this kind of starts to ease up a little bit, for sure, I'm going to be coming to the first show that you do, for sure. Um, so if anybody listening wants to come along, then make sure you do uh, and make sure that you're following as well. Um, yes, I need to come to one of your gigs. I have yet to cry listening to you sing, which I know is going to happen. So <laughs> <laughs> I know we're, we're going to be the best contrast. I'm going to be laughing. You're going to be crying. That's exactly what we need. Um, so thanks so much to everybody for, for listening in um, and see you next time. Have a lovely day and sending lots of love.